The Lord be with you. Please be seated. And as we begin, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to us on that first Christmas. To come as a man, to live among us, to suffer and die for us, so that our sins may be forgiven. And Father, we pray that as we prepare ourselves for his second coming, your Holy Spirit will guide us and strengthen us to lead lives that would be worthy of him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our friends, once again, uh, this evening, welcome to St. Mary's. Uh, um, as we celebrate Advent Sunday, and as we begin a new church uh, year in our church calendar. Our friends, uh, for me, the season of Advent prepares us in three ways. Uh, firstly, for the celebration of the first coming of Jesus Christ, uh, 2,000 years ago, which we celebrate on the day we call Christmas Day, 25th of December. And secondly, it also reminds us um, that, that we can continue to live lives uh, of love for each other and of uh, love for God and in gratitude and service to our great and mighty God, who in His great mercy has so graciously saved us. And thirdly, Advent prepares and builds up our hope and anticipation for Jesus' second coming. Now this year, unlike other years at St. Mary's, we have not chosen a book of the Bible in order to um, uh, preach on during the four Sundays of Advent. Rather, we have chosen four themes of Advent. And I have the pleasure to begin, or the privilege to begin uh, this week uh, by, by in the theme, Jesus is coming. Uh, this we'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verses 1 to 11 on page 1178 of the Church Bible. In addition, I must warn you <laughs> that I'll be referring to a number of other passages, particularly from the prophet Isaiah and also from God, John's Gospel. But you don't have to worry, I'll read them out to you to save you from having to turn the pages uh, in the Church Bible. And of course, uh, as always, in the center of the uh, bulletin, you will find a sermon guide with some space for scribbling, if you're like me. Uh, um, we need space for scribbling with a pencil. And as we begin, let me uh, start with the story of King Solomon. Everybody knows King Solomon? Well, God spoke to Solomon in a dream. And God asked him this, ask what I shall give you. Now, amazingly, because King Solomon was very young when he took over from his, his father David. He was very young. And what preoccupied him was this huge question. How am I, a young man with no experience, how am I going to govern God's chosen people, Israel? And so in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon asked God for this, an understanding mind to discern between good and evil. And the, the purpose of doing that is so that he could govern the great nation of God's people. Now friend, if tonight uh, God came to us in a dream and asked us, 
and make the same offer to us. I wonder what will be our answer. What will be we ask God for? What will be our preoccupation? What is important to us? Will we be asking for wealth or fame, or will we be asking for a long life? Well, this is a question to ponder over. But Solomon asked for a spirit, a discerning mind, to discern between good and evil. However, we know from our passage in First Thessalonians five. What the Thessalonian Christians in the first century would ask God if God made them the same offer. Because they were preoccupied with two massive things in their mind. One of those questions which have plagued humanity since humanity was expelled, or expelled from the Garden of Eden. And the other one ever since the advent of Christ our Saviour, including His death, resurrection and His ascension to glory by His Father's side. And apparently, the Thessalonians have obviously asked Paul these questions before. Well, let's begin with the first big thing that they wanted to know. This was the same one uh, that we, the whole of humanity faced since Eden. What happened to those who have died in the faith? You see, friends, in first century Thessalonica, Christ has come, He has died, he rose again and he has ascended to heaven to be with his father. But after more than 25 years, a quarter of a century later, Christ still has not returned as he has promised. And so these, these Christians in Thessalonica, they were worried about those who have already died in the faith. Those loved ones have already died. Now, would they miss out when Jesus comes back to rule the world? Would they, would they miss out? Would they not be included? And Paul has answered this question previously. No, they will not miss out. In fact, they will be the first one to be caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. And then later, those who are alive will then be caught up with them. The second question is implied in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11. to And it's actually, as I mentioned before, a follow-up question to the first one. So, if Christ is going to come back and give all these loved ones uh, a chance to rule the world and uh, those who are alive as well, so when is he coming back? So please turn with me to page 1178 of the Bible as Paul answers this question in his own uh, inimitable way. We will look at this in three parts. Firstly, Jesus is coming, the day of judgment. Secondly, how we should live as that day approaches, and finally, what it means to us living as Christians, what, what, is in life, what is in place for us, the Christian's future. So Jesus is coming, the day of judgment. And Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. And Paul, as we discussed just now, has apparently spoken about this to them, the question has come up before. When he first founded the Thessalonican church on his second missionary journey, and then when he visited them again on his third missionary journey. And now the question has come up again. Perhaps we were not told. Perhaps they have written another letter to Paul. Or they have sent some messengers to Paul with this concern, this big concern in their mind. Now, from verse 1, some of us would think that Paul's answer 
is not very caring or not very pastoral, as if he doesn't care about the feelings or the worries of his people. But as we have seen before, he has already answered this when he was with them. And another thing to me seems to be Paul's intention to remind them in the words of what the Lord himself has said regarding this question. And we can find this in Matthew 24, 36. Let me read that out to you. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus' answer is very clear. To those who have faith in him, the knowledge of the times and seasons of uh, Jesus' return is not important. Because those who have faith will be confident that on that day, all the faithful dead or alive will be caught up to be with the Lord forever and ever. For them, it, it is going to be a day to look forward to, to anticipate with enthusiasm. For on that day, we will see Jesus in His great splendor and glory, face to face, even as we meet those who have gone before us again, the loved ones who have gone before us uh, in the faith. We'll see them again. But for those who haven't turned to Jesus yet, it would be a day of judgment a day to be dreaded. Now, the prophet Isaiah prophesied some 800 years before this that these people will try to escape from God during that day. They will try to escape from God's judgment. In Isaiah 2, verse 20 to 21, Isaiah said this, In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to enter the caverns and the clefts of the rocks from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. And a few chapters down in Isaiah 13, 9-11, Isaiah said this, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. The sun will be dark at its rising. I, the Lord, will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. So when? When will the Lord come back? Paul answers, this is not important. What is important is, which party are you going to be invited to? Christ's party or some other party? The timing is not important. No. So, the next thing is, how is the day going to come? In verse 2, Paul says this, For you yourselves are fully aware that the, Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, some time ago, I read the news on our neighborhood watch. It's a WhatsApp group. Hundreds of guys are in it. And in that news, it was reported that houses in our neighborhood are most often broken in during the night, or I should say, in the early morning, uh, between 3 to 3.30 a.m. The police thinks this is because it is the quietest and the darkest part of the night. And people are in the deepest part of their sleep. Actually, I was told that scientists have a word for this, and I forgot what it was. It was the deepest part of their sleep. So they're dead to this world, so to speak. So thieves 
chose this time to break in and then we will be gone before we even know that we have lost all our valuables. Because thieves will not announce when they are coming. Otherwise, you and I would be waiting for them with our golf sticks in our hands and our wives with their saucepan or their rolling pins in their hands too. And of some people reading this, maybe quite uncomfortable because they think Paul is uh, comparing Jesus to a thief in the night. But this is not what he is saying. Read it carefully. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He did not say, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It also doesn't say that it must happen in the night because it may well be so. But it may well, just as well be so that he comes back in the day as well. What is certain is that none of us can predict what times or seasons that will happen. Well, comes the next part of the question. What? What unusual, unusual circumstances will there be when the Lord returns? And now, friends, uh, these past few weeks, people have been coming to me and telling me the Lord must be coming back soon. Why? Look, so many signs. Wars and rumours of wars. Famines in various parts of the world. Earthquakes and tsunamis all over the place. Volcanoes erupting in Bali, preventing the holiday makers from leaving it because they close the airport and they have to make the overland trip to Surabaya in order to catch a flight from there. And lately, North Korea. North Korea successfully fired their first intercontinental ballistic missile capable of reaching any part of their most terrible arch enemy, so they think the U.S. of A. Now, in our passage from the Gospel of Luke, the Lord himself wants us to be alert to all these signs. But he also tells us, do not be too concerned about this. Rather, look forward to it because that is the day when your redemption is near. So, uh, what does Paul say to this? Let's read verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So firstly, Paul says it will be sudden, unexpected. The day or night as we discussed just now will be an ordinary one just as any other day or night. There's peace and security, no special warning, then suddenly, the Lord will return. He will come in His glory with His uh, heavenly angels. Now, secondly, in this verse, Paul says, it is certain to happen, just as certain as a woman, uh, would, a, a pregnant woman would give birth to a baby after nine months of carrying it in her womb. And thirdly, Apart from the question of timing, the day will bring sudden destruction as the old order is swept away and replaced with the new. The old corrupted world will be swept away to be replaced with the glorious new creation that God has promised. And fourthly, there will be pain. There will be pain for all those who are caught up, still in love with the old world of sin and corruption and death. 
Then there will be the inescapable pain, like the pain the woman feels during the delivery of a baby. Now, this question uh, of the return of Christ, the certainty and the suddenness and unexpectedness of Christ's return has been given a name. Theologians call it the imminence of the Lord's return. Big word, just to mean that imminence means it is nearby or is uh, close by or near without setting a time or a date or a season to it. The imminence of Jesus' return. So we Christians, how do we approach this day as, as we live this world, uh, in this life? How do we approach? Uh, how, let me <laughs> say that again. must be getting sleepy. How should we live as Christians when we see that day approaching nearer and nearer to us? Well, let's first look at the way uh, in which we should not live. Now, in the Old Testament, darkness was the sign of God's displeasure and judgment on his disobedient people. While light, light was a sign of his favor and his blessing. So especially during the exile times, exilic times, Old Testament Israel looked forward very eagerly toward the coming of the Messiah who will deliver the people out of darkness into the marvelous light of God's kingdom. But we shall see, especially in John, in the end, uh, New Testament, that when the Messiah finally appears, he was not welcomed by his own people. And we will be looking at that, some of this, uh, as we go on. Now, verse, this is what Paul says about light and darkness. In verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul says the wrong way to live would be to choose darkness. Don't be like the old Hebrew, so to speak, who still prefers to live in darkness instead of coming into the light of the kingdom of God brought in by his son Jesus Christ, for which they have been waiting for centuries. Now look at what the Apostle Paul says in John 1 verse 4. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. But, for those, but there are those who choose to continue in the dark and choose not to live in the light of day. Why would they do that? Especially when they have been waiting for it for centuries. Well, John has an answer to that as well. In John 3 verse 19, John says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And because they prefer evil and the darkness, they will be the ones who will be caught by surprise when the Lord comes suddenly and announced and unannounced. Oh, back to our passage. Uh, let me read verses 6 and 7 to you. So then let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Now Paul here uses two very human conditions or activities to show the unpreparedness of those who, who still chose to live in the darkness. There will be firstly sleeping, and will not be, even be aware uh, that 
that their eternal lives have been stolen away or they have lost their eternal lives. And secondly, they will be drunk and will be caught up in the deceptive worldly comfort and pleasures instead of the certain joy and glory of Jesus' presence. But for those who are ready for the Lord's return, they are the ones who have chosen light and day and will be both wide awake and sober. And Paul tells us this is the only way to live as we wait for the Lord's return. In verse 8, Paul says, Since we are looking, uh, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Compare this to two very quick passages from John. John says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not, belong, may not remain in darkness. So four things to summarize how to live as those of the light. Firstly, stay awake. Secondly, stay sober, don't get drunk. Thirdly, put on the breastplate of faith and, and hope. Uh, breastplate of faith and love. And fourthly, wear on your head the helmet of the hope of salvation. In other words, how do we stay in the light? Well, we do that by staying alert and ready for Jesus may return at any moment. And secondly, by arming ourselves with faith and love, fully trusting in Jesus to deliver us and to save us. Okay, what it means to us, the Christian's future. Firstly, it means salvation, Jesus Christ. And Paul says this in verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We are not destined for wrath, friends. By Jesus' death for our sins, we have been counted right before God. We are counted righteous, reconciled to God in His Son, Jesus. For on that cross, Jesus died and has justified us before God. And God has declared us not guilty. We don't have to pay for our sins, for the Son has done that for us. And that salvation belongs to all who have put their trust in Jesus. Those who have gone before us, that means those who are asleep, as Paul says here, and those who are still alive on that day when he returns. That means those who are still awake. But what does that mean while we wait for Jesus' return? This is where Paul says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul says you do not live for yourself during this time, but you live for each other, encouraging and building each other up in the faith, just as the Thessalonians and all Christians have done throughout the ages. Especially as we live in this troubled world, full of darkness, temptation, and sin. And so, friends, in conclusion, what can we bring home with us tonight? Well, first of all, what we can do is that we can strategize and think long-term as if Jesus is not coming back for an, anytime soon, for another thousand or two thousand years. 
At the same time, we can act, act in the short term as if he, was, he is going to come back tomorrow or the next second. Remember what we said about the imminence or nearness of the Lord's return? We don't know the time. We just know that when it happens, it will be sudden and it will be unexpected. But we know it's certain to come. The when does not happen, uh, does not matter. And this allows us to continue to plan ahead, to carry out the Lord's work while we are here on earth. To love God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And in the meantime, to love each other just as Jesus has loved us and continues to love us. Friends, we're not allowed to say to ourselves, so what's the point? What's the point? Jesus may come back tomorrow and our plans will be worthless. So why do anything? He may come back while we are feeding the needy. Oh, what a waste of all the nasi lemak and the eggs and the chicken. But we are not told to, to live and plan like that. We must think and plan as if his return is going to be for another, is not going to be for another thousand years or so. And in the meantime, we must act immediately because there are thousands and thousands of people out there who need us to minister to them, to love them, uh, to care for them, and to serve their needs. At the same time, he also allows us to plan to send out the message of God's gospel message of salvation, to bring the gospel of his salvation to all corners of the earth, to all people of all origins, of all language, of all colors, because the gospel is the power of God to save. And we cannot say that since Jesus can come back anytime, we don't have to do anything. Let him settle it when he comes back. Everything will be settled by him anyway. And there is also a reminder that the Christmas guest night this year falls on next Saturday, the 9th of, November, uh, 9th of December, and we have another 30 tickets or so left. Uh, so far, I heard there are 220 participants who will be coming for that night, and uh, these few tickets can be picked up from uh, Jennifer or from uh, Jessica at the book corner. There's still a few left. It's a great opportunity for us to bring our friends, our families, our loved ones uh, to hear the gospel message being uh, spoken on that night. Now, secondly, we must keep the light burning in the light of the certainty of Jesus' return. Because we know that Jesus' return is certain, we can live lives of confidence. No matter what challenges we may face, we can trust Jesus uh, that everything will be made right when Jesus', Jesus returns. Any injustice or persecution can be faced with confidence. On our part, just be prepared. Arm ourselves with the breastplate of faith and love and leave the final judgment to Jesus. And finally, number three, be joyful always. The Christian's eternal destination awaits for us, uh, awaits us at Jesus' return. Paul reminds us that the Christian life is one that is full of joy. In one of his other letters, Paul says, we are just aliens passing through this world because our eternal home is with the Lord where there is glory and splendor and joy forevermore. And where the Lord himself is, there, will, there he will be our light. In other parts of the Bible, 
It tells us that there will be, at that time, there will be no more suffering or pain or death. For these former things would have passed away and all things would have been made new. So encourage one another with these words, friends. Let us sum up again. We can plan long-term and act short-term while waiting for Jesus to return. Secondly, we can keep the light burning in the light of the certainty of Jesus' return. And thirdly, we can be joyful always because the Christian's final destination is in heaven with our Lord himself. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us. And thank you for the promise that Jesus will return for us to bring us home to be with him. And we pray that as we wait, your Holy Spirit will give us strength to help and encourage each other as we await that day to come. In Jesus' name we pray.